the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I never expected to find Larry David in a book that also includes Erasmus. I never expected to be surprised on every page by people I have never met before, but I am because I've got the soul of civility. And Alexandra Hudson joins us now. Hello, Alexandra. Good morning. Hi, Hugh. Great to be with you. I got to tell you, this is a fabulous book, and I do not know how anyone as young as you and with small children could find the time to research it and write it. I'm, I'm just blown away by the soul of civility. When and how long did it take you to do this? It feels like a miracle. The fact that my book is out in the world and um, being enjoyed by people like you is it feels like a gift of unmerited grace. I'm so thankful. Um, This is a product of a lifetime of thought and actively a decade of work. Um, A lot of mornings up at 430 before the kids woke up to write and a lot of late nights reading and and, and thinking. Um, So just really, really grateful. It's a a long time. And this is like my third child, 10 year gestation process. So really, really grateful. Well, I want I want people to remember the soul of civility is the title and Alexandra new to the book world. You've got to say the title seven times in every interview. So the soul of civility, that's Frank Luntz's rule. So I've said the soul of civility a lot today because I wanted people to read this. I want to go to my favorite discovery. All right. There are a lot of discoveries in here and I can list them. I listed all my discoveries. I'd never heard of uh, Dionysus Cato. I had never heard of Giovanni della Casa and Baldessari Castelloni. And I had never heard of John Fletcher Moulton, a 19th century English barrister, mathematician and judge, observed that there exists a middle ground between the realm of the things we do with unrestricted freedom and those things we do because they are prescribed by law. He called this domain the obedience to the unenforceable. This is where our actions are influenced by a sense of what we view as good, moral and proper, our unofficial code of duty to our families, friends and fellow citizens. That's where the real greatness of a civilization lies. Where did you find that? It's really kind of hard to remember every source of everything that is in the book. Um, maybe there's this one lovely book um, from uh, by an Oxford historian called Keith Thomas called In Pursuit of Civility. And it's all of our favorite thinkers from Adam Smith to David Hume to John Locke, but specifically through the, through the lens of their thoughts on civility and social norms. So he's like a, a very uh, illustrious historian and he's like a true scholar and that he, you know, dug through archives and letters for, you know, decades writing this book on uh, on civility in the, and specifically the early modern period. So that, that's a likely candidate. I really love that book in particular. But as you know, I really like to, I wanted this book to represent the human condition. And so I zoomed out at across history and across culture to help us think more clearly about this most important question of our day, which is how might we flourish across deep difference? How ought we to treat fellow citizens? 
That's what I tell people. And the Larry David effect, we'll come back to that after the break. But I want people to know that Simon, Anna, Billy, and Elizabeth are here. The culture of being seen. Do you know that three out of four of them have Netflix series? I noticed that in my note-taking. Is that their objective in life is to get a Netflix series, even if they burn everything down around them? It's it's true. The society of the spectacle that we live in is is a real thing. I unpack this framework called the spectacular society by a French intellectual called Guy Debord. And he says that and he's writing in the 1970s. And he's saying that we have exchanged the true for the faux. We, we willingly accept the glittering illusion of reality as opposed to reality itself. Um, and he's talking about an increasingly consumerist society. Um, and, and, but he, I, this is before the age of social media, where all these stories, Anna Delvey, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, Simone Lviv, um, the Fire Film Festival, Fire Film Festival guy, Billy McFarland, they all uh, wanted to get by on, um, on appearances alone, without the inner disposition, without, without being, uh, having the real substance of integrity. Um, they, they thought they could get by on, um, on show and appearance, and, and a lot of them used social media to purport to be something they, they actually weren't in reality. So these are modern case studies that I, I weave together to show. Um, the, it's kind of a cautionary tale. I, I was so convicted by all of all of the reading, all the stories, um, watching all the Netflix series. Some of them have multiple Netflix series. I feel like um, the, the, the Elizabeth Holmes one certainly has several <laughs> different different pop culture uh, pieces dedicated to her. Uh, but it is it is convicting. Uh, how can we as a society be more uh, inclined to care about what is rather than what seems? Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. That which gets rewarded gets repeated. That's an old slogan in the law. And that which gets rewarded with a Netflix series, even if it's fraud, even if it's illusion, will get repeated. The Larry David effect, I'm going to come back to that. But go get the soul of civility. Alexander, this book came out when a war broke out. Has it interfered with your marketing and the ability to get to people about the soul of civility? When So Israel was invaded by Hamas three days before my book came out. And at first, you know, I, like the rest of the world, was just in awe that, that such atrocities, such monstrosities, such barbarism could, could occur today. Alexander, let's pick up where we left off. Your book came out three days after Israel was invaded and the atrocities occurred. What did that do to your campaign to get the book into people's hands? It had to have been disastrous. 
It, it was, um, you know, I was in New York recording my audiobook publication week because what better week to record one's audiobook than, the, <laughs> than, the, than when the book comes out. Um, but all of my media was canceled, television, radio. Uh, I did a few podcasts in studio, which was, which was fine. But uh, it felt a little bit deflating at first. And then I realized, though, that my book is needed all the more now. My book is in many ways a humanistic manifesto, a manifesto of the profound gift of our humanity, of our dignity, um, when we need, especially as the stakes are high, we're most inclined to dehumanize the other, uh, when we feel like we're under threat, when we feel like it's an existential crisis that, that includes times of war, that includes uh, very polarized elections like we're, we're, we're entering into right now. And, and so I hope that my readers come away with, a, with a, a, a revived appreciation of the profound gift of being human, which is an antidote to these deeply divided, deeply dehumanizing, barbaric times that, that we live in. And I hope that they come away encouraged that we each have a really important role to play in being part of the solution in our everyday, um, both in, 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 in um, sustaining what I define as a true civilization, but also in sustaining our democracy, our freedom, and our flourishing. It's a wonderful, you know, Arthur Brooks could have written this book, too. I, I mean, it takes so much time to write this book. But I noticed at the end that you have great appreciation for great hearts. I served on the board of Great Hearts for 10 years. I did not know that when we met or when I picked up this book. You didn't mention a thing about Great Hearts. Or that we have this overlap. I don't know how you were connected with Great Hearts, but your appreciation for Great Hearts is shared by me. How did you get connected up with Great Hearts? There is this vibrant intellectual classical revival happening across the country, and I'm thrilled to um, to to play a small part of it. Um, I, I think I got connected through Great Hearts specifically via the classical learning test, which I serve on the board of. It's a classic alternative, great books, great texts alternative to um, the ACT and SAT, these standardized tests um, that we're, we're all familiar with. And Great Hearts is a great example of, of how to inculcate cultures of civility um, in educational contexts. It's, it's, they see education, the educational project as, as creating good humans as cultivating our humanity and making us more humane, as ordering our loves, helping us appreciate the need for sacrifice, uh, restraining our ego for the sake of the human social project, which we need to flourish. Now, would you show the Larry David uh, series in Great Hearts? Because I, I, I actually was telling my wife about this when we were driving to church yesterday. I said, you won't believe this book, The Soul of Civility. She's seen me reading it, and I've been telling her, this is great, this is great, this is remarkable. I never knew that, which is very... I'm not saying I'm well-read. I'm pretty well-read. All this stuff about Erasmus, and I didn't know about Dionysus Cato. So I'm just kind of learning as I go along. But then the Larry David, I've never watched the show. My boys have said, you've got to watch this. And I just, I don't. And now I have to watch it because of what you wrote. Tell people about the Larry David effect, because it really makes sense. So Larry David is the creator of Seinfeld, and he has his own spinoff show called Curb Your Enthusiasm. And Larry David is everyone's inner ego and inner id. Like we, it's a very cringe-inducing show because yes. you know he is. He calls himself a social assassin. So when he's in a social context, he is that person who will call someone out for for a you know petty social infraction. Everything that we might otherwise you know roll our eyes at, be annoyed at, but let it go, he takes it to the extreme. You know, someone cuts in line at a coffee shop or double parks. So he's the person that will go into the coffee shop and say, "Who is double parked?" 
you know, get out here. Like this is society. You don't get to do that. <laughs> like things that we don't, we wouldn't, you know, every one of us wouldn't expend the emotional energy for. He's there for it. He like lives for those sort of like social, um, yeah, that, that, that social friction. And so what's funny about Larry David, I, I, I argue that he is the foremost defender of civilization today, because if we don't want a nanny state or a totalitarian regime micromanaging our everyday interactions and, and causing us um, through the force of law to think of others alongside of ourselves, we should be grateful that people like Larry David are harnessing the power of social shame <laughs> to do it for us. And in the book, right before I get to the Larry David effect, I talk about modern examples in London, in Paris, and in New York City under Michael Bloomberg's mayoralship, uh, where where politeness, basic courtesy to others was legislated. It failed. Oh, you, 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 you have the posters reproduced from France, which I've never seen before. And that was another illumination for me. Tell people about the French poster campaign. So the French campaign, the French politeness campaign was one of the more successful ones. Like Larry David, the French also harnessed social shame. And apparently the French, who are not known for being the most courteous and polite Absolutely people, kind not. of internationally you're known as being a little bit rude, um, but apparently the French had, had had enough of their fellow Frenchmen, especially in, in the Parisians. And so the the, the French uh, city council, they instituted this poster campaign that was on every subway um, and, and every subway station, analogizing common discourteous actions to different animals, saying, you know, don't act like this gross sloth who's just like lounging on, on, a, on a subway bench. You know, don't spit on the subway um, you know, station, don't, don't do X, Y, Z. And, and it was saying, you know, let's be civil down the line. Let's think of others alongside of ourselves. And that, that actually worked that poster campaign. It got people to think like, yeah, I don't want to be like the beasts. You know, I'm part of civil, I'm part of civilization and, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do a little bit better. Um, but so that was one of the more effective, uh, autocratic attempts to improve civility. Some of the least effective ones were Michael Bloomberg's politeness campaign in New York city, where, you know, he, he, he apparently decided that New Yorkers had become too impolite for him to tolerate or, and so he instituted all these fines and laws that you could be fined $50 for yelling at your kid's softball game for putting your your feet on the subway bench for you know doing these common for for tweeting or texting in in broadway or, or at the theater and it, it was an utter failure because people don't like to be micromanaged new yorkers did not like to be civilized by their local government and it was impossible to enforce that was an utter failure but the point is we should be thankful that larry david's in the world exist to keep us in line, keep us in check. Um, because if we don't, and it, it gets bad enough that we, we are consistently and chronically discourteous enough that autocrats past and present will be tempted to control ourselves for us. Now, it's one of many brilliant insights, but I wonder if you heard from Larry David yet, because I don't know that anyone has ever recognized mind. Uh, what's it called? What's the name of the series? Um, uh, your enthusiasm? Yeah, curb your enthusiasm. I just call it the Larry David show. I've never watched a full episode. I've like seen like two minutes of it, and my kids want us to watch it. I'm just not a Larry David guy. I like Seinfeld, but now I'm going to have to. And I think it's an original insight. Was it original to you? What the what the show's genius is? I think I think the show is, and, and actually, I think I think it is original to me. Um, I actually have a running notepad on my phone of of Larry David vignettes. I hope he reads the book. I hope people give it to. Him. I hope he brings me on as a consulting writer because anytime I'm in a social interaction, I see something happen. I'm like, you know, I'm going to let this go, but Larry David wouldn't. And here's how it would play out. I have this like running list of all these like little vignettes, and that's how the show is done. They have a they put you in a context. It's mostly improv. It's not scripted, right? They put you in a context. They say, okay, here's the premise of the skit. Now. 
know, let's see how it plays out. You know, here's your character. And so it would just be so much fun. He's, he's absolutely delightful. It's hysterical. It is, it is, you know, it's a comedy of manners. It, it really is. And, you know, we only, we don't appreciate the power and the importance of social norms until they're broken. And that's the power of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's all a parody of what happens when, when social norms are broken and, and how society and, and flourishing crumbles as a result. Um, and um, it, it's just a brilliant show. That, that well, I, it's a brilliant that insight. And, and you're going to achieve what my kids have not. Now I'm going to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm as soon as I'm done with Dairy Girls. But let me go and finish by going back in the soul of civility to the essential distinction between politeness and civility, which you explain by virtue of reference to their Latin roots, as well as to the Latin root of respect. I took five years of Latin, so I was very interested in this. Would you explain to people the difference between politeness and civility, which takes a few pages to get, but it's crucial. It's about the internal development, what repetition does for the soul, actually, what manners are intended to introduce you to. We hear this word, we hear these words politeness and, and civility used interchangeably. People either want more of them to revive and heal our public discourse today and they hearken back to this golden age, or they want less of them. They claim that civility and politeness are tools of the patriarchy, of white supremacists, of, of people in positions of power to silence and oppress and keep the powerless powerless. I argue that both these contingents misunderstand what civility and politeness are. Politeness is manners, it's etiquette, it's it's technique, it's behavior, it's external, where civility is internal. It's a disposition of the heart. It's a way of seeing others as our moral equals who are worthy of a bare minimum of respect just by virtue of our shared moral status as members of the human community. And that crucially, sometimes actually respecting others requires being impolite, telling hard truths, engaging in robust debate. The Latin roots of these two words support this distinction. And again, we've been making, we've been conflating these two words for a very long time. The very first English dictionary given to us by Samuel Johnson in 1755 defines civility in terms of politeness, politeness in terms of civility. And we've been doing it wrong ever since. <laughs> so, um, but, but the etymology supports this distinction that the etymology of politeness is polyere which means to smooth or to polish. And that's what politeness does. It papers over difference, polishes over it, it focuses on the, on the outside, the external, as opposed to giving us the tools to grapple with difference head on. The etymology of civility is kivitas, which is the root of all things related to citizen, um, citizenship, the city and civilization itself. And that's what civility is. It's the disposition and the habits of a citizen in the city that, again, crucially sometimes requires breaking rules of propriety and etiquette in order to have a robust debate, in order to flourish across deep difference, in order to confront a regime with injustice. I, I reclaim the whole tradition of civil disobedience within my definition of civility. So unlike, you know, some many claim that civility is this tool of, you know, keeping the powerless powerless. And I argue that instead civility, the basic respect that we are owed and owed to others by virtue of our shared humanity uh, and the duties of citizenship has been and can once again be this essential tool of promoting justice and equality in our world. Do you believe, Alexandra, that repetition of politeness will lead to civility? Because I think that's what the education... If you read Montaigne, Essay 26 in the first book, The Education of Children, it's all about disciplining children early so that they learn how to be actually civilized. But it's you can't civilize a child. You can only train a child. But it's important to do that. Do, do you agree with that? That it's you've got to start with politeness. You can't get there to civility without politeness? 
I, I do agree with that. Um, so at its best, politeness will perfect and enhance the inner disposition of civility, the, the rituals, the practices, the behavior of sacrificing self for others for the sake of the, the joint project of living well with others. But too often, we are content with mere politeness. We're content with just the gesture, just the behavior. And we insufficiently seek to cultivate and nurture the inner disposition of actually respecting others. And so my argument is let's not settle for just the, 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 the going through the motions and, 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 faux, and faux respect that is focused on j- just empty gestures. Um, and that l- let's instead focus on, on cultivating, especially in children, uh, the inner disposition of civility and said, this is how, what I talk about great hearts, that, that they focus on not just the behavior, but how the behavior cultivates character and that and that 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 the outer actions will ideally flow from an inner character and yet often especially in children practicing the behaviors first can enhance that 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 process of character formation of sacrifice of sacrifice for self i just double checked the index because i wanted to make sure i was clear i I don't think you referred to elizabeth ii or diana princess of wales in the book and so my two questions to close are about that, that I don't think are in the soul of civility, because I like to get an author out of their book for a second. I have often quoted or at least attributed to Elizabeth the saying, the essence of good taste is never to be offended by bad taste. Question number one, hmm. is that about politeness or is that about civility? Hmm. That's a great that's a great question that I think that. um that's helpful to help us remember not to be focused, inordinately focuses on, focused on, on appearances, to actually look to the heart of others. Uh, the book of Samuel in the Hebrew Bible says, man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. Um, and we can never truly know what another person is on the inside. We can only go by what is on, on how people act and, and what people say and do. Um, and ultimately we can't control others. We can only control ourselves. So I think that that quote is a very stoical idea and stoicism is, is analogy analogous to my theory of social change in the book that we can't change others. We can't control who's tweeting what, what person's running for president and, and what's happening across the world, but we can control ourselves and we can make our society better and brighter um, by just, um, breathing beauty and life wherever wherever we go. So I, I do like that insight. Well, as I was reading Soul of Civility, we finished watching the first series of episodes of the last season of The Crown. Are you a crown watcher and are you caught up? I'm not a crown watcher and I'm not caught up. I would like to be. I feel like I feel like it would ennoble me. It's just it's just, you know, beautifully, visually, visually beautiful. <laughs> what it will do is remind you of everything you write about in the Soul of Civility. Because there are bad people and good people, and there are people being good and bad. Differences here. Uh, all of us are good and bad at different times. Caught up in the drama, which is a drama. It's not, it's not nonfiction. It's a dramatization. But it is, it is that tension between civility and politeness. It's ever present in the show. And once you've read The Soul of Civility, it kind of puts glasses on, lenses on how you view people's behavior So I really want to conclude by saying I am very impressed, Alexandra, and by your stoicism of putting a book out in the middle of a news tidal wave. Push on, because I think it will get picked up. Have our friends at Great Hearts adopted it yet? No, they should. Tell them that they should. (laughs) I will. I just think Larry David and Great Hearts, if you're listening, go get the soul of civility, timeless principles to heal society and ourselves. Alexandra Hudson, good to talk to you this morning. Thank you for joining me. Continued success in getting the soul of civility into as many hands and read by as many eyes as possible. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. 
Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.